Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. If we could go ahead and just bow our heads and take a minute to pray. God, I thank you for what you have already done, God, in your presence in this place. Lord, thank you for how you have used me, God, for bringing me here, God. Lord, I, I don't know how you do it, God, I just stand it amazing. But God, thank you for using me, and I pray that you just anoint my lips and my mind, God, to minister the words you have given me, God, and open the ears of all that would be, God, to hear your word, God, and to grow, Lord, in grace and in truth. God, we love you, Lord. God, we exalt you and praise your name. In Jesus' name. You may be seated. Tonight, I would like to minister on the nature of sin. What is sin? A definition I found is an immoral act considered to be a transgression of divine law. There are other definitions besides that, but that seems to be the general idea of what sin is to people at large. And I've noticed in the world around me, as I'm sure almost all of us have, sin doesn't carry much weight outside of media and TV shows. People use sin as entertainment at worst. And at best, they see it as just a list of some bad things to avoid. But as just a man saved by the grace of God from the consequence of sin. I'll tell you what sin really is. It is a separation from God and all that he is. God, he is love, justice, mercy, truth, peace, righteousness, and good. Sin, although it's pleasurable to our flesh for a period of time, it is the things that pull our attention away from God and all his goodness. No matter how serious or how simple the sin appears in our eyes, all sin creates a wall between us and God. I try to teach the kids in the back that as much as I can, that beyond whatever the name of the sin might be, it all creates a barrier between you and God. Grace has an amazing way of breaking down that wall, but we ought to be doing our best to stop building it back up. So what sins are there? When reading through the Bible, we find what seems like it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of ways to sin. I was kind of blown away because I went through and I, I found like a list. And I got tired of scrolling through it. It was so long. <laughs> but it's almost like God is being like legalistic or super demanding or overly picky. Because there's so many ways to insult him if you're looking at it from just the world's perspective. And honestly, it feels overwhelming, even to me, even though I love God, I know who he is, and I have a great relationship with him that I'm growing and building every day. When I look at just a list of sins, it feels overwhelming. And I had planned before 
I read the list to read off the whole thing to you guys. But <laughs> I'm going to stop at 51. So <laughs> that's, that's just where I stopped and I counted them. So 51. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and read off a list of some of the do's and do nots that I found in a word. Uh, it's an incomplete list. It's in simple terms. Uh, here's a few just from the Old Testament. I'm not going to include all the laws. I'm just including what was carried over into the New Testament because Jesus Christ fulfilled the law of the Old Testament. But here are just 11 of them. Serve only God and no other. Do not make an idol. Do not take God's name in vain or use it without respectful purpose. Don't just throw it around absentmindedly. Keep the Sabbath. Honor your parents. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie about your neighbor. And everyone in the world is our neighbor. Don't desire your neighbor's stuff. Again, everyone is your neighbor. Teach your children the word and that there is one Lord at every opportunity you have. And here's a list of some of the sins that we can find in the New Testament. Okay. Self-abusing or having unnatural lust. Backbiters, those who speak evil of people that aren't there. Getting drunk, homosexuality, bitterness, denying the Holy Ghost, boasting, not using your God-given talents, defiling your body, whether with an internal substance like drugs or marring the outside on purpose. Divorce, effeminate, or a woman-like man. Envy, desire for forbidden things. Fearful. I stopped at that one for a minute. So I'm like, how is being afraid of sin? But it's because we aren't leaning on the peace and love of God. This is also why we teach not to watch, read, or listen to things that cause and invite fear. Perfect love casts out fear. But if we're embracing fear back into our homes and our lives, it's going to put out the perfect love that was there. And perfect love is God. God is love. Being afraid isn't what the sin is about. It's focusing on the fear and inviting the fear in rather than inviting God in. Foolish talking, giving false witness, fornication, giving offense, greediness, haters of God, having a heart full of evil intentions, arrogance, hypocrisy, idle words, lust, judging, knowing to do good but not doing it. Loving yourself more than God or anyone else. Lying, reveling, or overindulging in things. Speaking evil of those who ought to be honored. We really don't need to be speaking evil of the president, even if we wouldn't like him. Or we really shouldn't be speaking evil of our bosses, even if it feels like they deserve it. Because the position deserves honor. And God honors the position. Stealing, trusting in riches, lack of faith. Lack of faith is telling God you don't trust him enough. And that's a really big thing because he's never been unfaithful. Unmerciful, unthankful, false humility, prostituting, witchcraft, causing a brother or sister in Christ to stumble and sin. The Bible is full 
of ways to sin. And even if we agree that a lot of it just makes good sense on a moral point of view, we can definitely agree that there's still a lot. Because this, this was a very, very condensed list. If I was an unbeliever, I'd see the word, I'd see all this, and I would just decide God is way too picky. Ridiculous, actually. But I know God is real. And I realize that sin isn't just a list that God decided to make up to get getting to heaven difficult. Sin is just everything that God is not. If we look at it, we realize just how pure and holy God is because he doesn't sin. He's not tempted to sin because sin is simply against who he is. He's not just telling us we can't do this or we have to do that like some kind of dictator. He's only asking us to draw close to him and be like him. And the more we cast aside these sins, the deeper the relationship we're going to have with God and the more we're going to find joy and peace in our spirit. Because when we're pushing out the sin that's unlike him, we're inviting God in, we're inviting who he is in. And who he is, there's peace in that, there's joy in that, there's strength in that. I stumble and I fall a lot. Fighting the lost and sinful desires of my flesh is an every day, usually every hour battle. But my goal is heaven. To see Jesus face to face and hear him say, well done. My goal is an eternity with the one who gives me purpose, strength, peace, love, joy, hope. If it means I have to pay attention and work every day to fight off these sins that are tempting me, so be it. Life is going to be over in a moment. And eternity in the presence of God is worth fighting the sinful nature of my flesh. So how is it that sin tempts us? If we know that God is so good and all that he has, what about sin seems so appealing to pull us away from that? Sin appeals to our flesh, the part of us that cares more about the pleasures of this life rather than living by faith. Your flesh sees the moment, not eternity. And we can see just by the short list of sins I've read off, there are many, many different tempting points for us. Because even if 90% of them don't apply to you, for every single one of us, there's at least one just on that list that does. And Satan knows very well how to tempt us with just the right sin at just the right time to get us to fall. He's not an idiot. He may have no power compared to God, but he is able to do things. He is able to tempt us to trip us up. He's going to use any trick and bring up any situation it takes to cause us to stumble and fall and lose sight of God. He's been at this for a very long time. And let me tell you, he knows where you're weak. He knows your stumbling point. If you're prone to gossip, you're going to hear all the juicy stories. Every single one. You're going to hear them all the time. If you're prone to lust, half-naked people are going to pop up everywhere. If you're prone to boasting, 
the opportunity is going to rise in every conversation just to bring up how great you are, how good you are at something. We don't all face the same temptations because we're all different, but we all face the temptation to sin. I'm not tempted by alcohol. Just never really appealed to me. So the opportunity to drink doesn't really come up all that often for me. But the sins that I do stumble at, they appear every single day, almost every hour on the hour. And sometimes it's just, it's back to back. There's no rest. But they appear because Satan knows they have the potential to trip me up and pull me away from God one little compromise at a time. But here's a little comfort. If you feel overwhelmed by the amount you're being tempted, when you play a video game, if you're running into enemies, you're going in the right direction. In this life, if you're facing this many temptations, God is using you for something great, and Satan knows it, and he wants to keep you from it. So he's going to try to push you the other direction and trip you up. So keep fighting. Because God is wanting to use you. He's wanting to speak through you in some capacity that's greater than you could ever imagine. And just for a silly analogy, because I love analogies and they make things simple, we're all human with the same basic anatomy and bodily functions, but we don't all like the same food. We all have a tongue. We all have saliva glands, glands, all that fun stuff, but we all like different foods. I really don't like the foods Brother Mason likes. I just, I just don't. But if I was on a diet, if I was on a diet, ice cream would be the thing to trip me up because I love everything about ice cream. I can never get a little. If I get a bowl, it's, it's heaping. It's what I do. I don't regret it. I love it because I'm not on a diet. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but where for me, it's ice cream. For someone else, it could be sushi. For someone else, it may be cupcakes or french fries, you know, that. That thing you know you ought to avoid because you're on a diet. Sin works in a similar manner. Our diet is living out the word of God. And sin is that delicious treat just tempting you to fall. Who does sin affect? And how does it affect? It? Sin not only tempts and affects you. It's going to affect everyone around you. Some people argue that it's their life. It's their choice, and it's their consequences alone. That is never true. A murderer takes an entire person away from others, robbing hundreds of people of a continued relationship and special connection. The boaster makes others feel small and inferior. Some of those people may not end up rising to an occasion because they could never be as great as this person that's boasting all the time. The liar obscures the truth of the matter. And that can affect everyone on a microscopic scale or some huge thing. That varies a lot. The adulterer destroys the heart and emotions of their spouse and their children. They are destroying the trust that's in their family and their home. The drunk takes away the joy of their relationship from the loved ones. As they continue to put, it's either their coping mechanism or their habit, whatever reason they got into it, as they continue to put that in front of others, or really any addiction. It could be 
video games, it could be drugs, it could be the gym, it could be work. You're putting something in front of God and in front of your family and in front of your friends, and they love you, and you are robbing them of a greater relationship with you. A theory called the butterfly effect is that a butterfly can flap its wings over here, and there will be It'll build up just that little movement of wind. will have a snowball effect all the way around the world, helping to create a tornado on the other side. And it's the same way with sin. You may think its effects on others won't matter because it's too small of an effect. But no matter how small or self-localized the sin may seem to you, It's touching the people around you in a much more devastating way than you could have ever intended. Lucifer, Satan, his sin of pride not only caused him to be cast out of heaven, but it also affected a third of the other angels, causing them to trust him more than the one who created them. And so they were cast out forever. If even the angels who were forever in the presence of God, knew him, saw him, worked with him, was always around him in his holy presence. If even they can be influenced by the sin of just one angel, how much more do you think your sin is going to affect people around you, especially people who are already prone to sin? Sin has a heavy weight like a gravity. And the further you dive into sin, the stronger it pulls you down. And the closer people are to you, the more it's going to pull on them. And it behaves like a spreading virus to afflict and to kill whoever is around. Because sin is never satisfied with having just you. It wants everyone around you as well. You're not so special that sin is just going to stay with you. It's going to move around. And where does that sin leave us? Sin is tempting because it's never going to show you the end result. Satan will show you the pleasure of it only and distract you from paying attention to where it's going to leave you. In James 1.15, just the last portion of the verse, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Sin will take you for a wild ride. It will be fun and enjoyable, For as long as it takes to get you hooked. Lying easily, always bragging, getting drunk every night, hating people, being ungrateful, staring in lust at others, dressing in a way to cause others to lust after you, speaking carelessly, sleeping around, getting high, ignoring the talents God gave you. Until one day, you realize this isn't what you're supposed to be. And you're doing these things, and there's not even any fun in it anymore, but you're stuck. Having years and even decades worth of a built-up habit of living in that sin that started out as so fun or seemingly so natural and easy, or as a coping mechanism, or just something you did in a panic, and you just never stopped. You look around and see only your sin holding on to you with a death grip dragging you further and further away from all the goodness of God. Sin will leave us in a pit of death, depression, self-loathing, alone, diseased, lost, fearful, addicted, 
broken and spiritually dead. Sin will take you further than you wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you were ever willing to pay. That is the nature of sin. And so we wonder what hope is there. If sin is going to come so naturally and be so heavy and appeal to us and keep us, especially since it does it in a subtle way, what hope do we have? How do we escape this? How do we live with this? How can we hope for anything better than just a death that will come? The nature of sin is to drag us away from God forever. But God made a way. And the name of that way is Jesus Christ. And who is this Jesus? But God himself. In his spirit, the Father. In his flesh, the Son. Judgment, because God must judge righteously and he will judge sin. And judgment was cast upon Jesus. And he took the punishment of sin upon himself as he hung upon the cross. You see, Jesus came to stand before the judgment of God on our behalf. His mercy crying out for us as he took our place. Because as much as God must judge righteously, his mercy also cries out to spare us. And so he came down. He took on the form of a man. And he took our place. He, des- he didn't deserve that at all because he was perfect. And he stood in our place, his mercy crying out. So that even though we are broken, we are guilty, we are covered in the filth and the stink of sin, we are able to find grace. Justice demanded the price of our sin to be paid. But mercy stood in our place bearing our sin and our shame. We have hope. We may have to fight temptation every day and get back up after we fall. Even one of my favorite verses, I don't have it up there, but Micah 7 and 8 said, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, when I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. We may be tattered and worn and beat down. And yet in Christ, we are still a new creature. We are still clean by the blood of the lamb. And in him, we find the strength to get back up and keep fighting the good fight of faith. Because you see, it's not about the list keeping some list of things to do or not to do. Others may see that. But that's not what our relationship with God is all about. The nature of sin is to trap and to ensnare us. And God is wanting us to be aware of all these things that are going to hinder and trip us up. At first, it seems like an overbearing list. But I see it more as mercy to show us, hey, look out for these things. These things are what's going to try to trip you up. They're going to try to destroy you. 
It is a lot to be on the lookout for. But there's also a whole lot of mercy and grace on our side as well. To keep a relationship with my wife, we didn't write down a list of things for us to avoid or that we had to do. We could list things down, you know, don't do this or make sure you do that. But it's not about the list of things to avoid or things to do. It's about keeping the relationship alive and well no matter what the cost. We don't see it as things we have to do or things we can't do. We just see the blessing of having each other and how our lives together is better than our lives apart. The bachelor life is great. Not having to worry about any one of the things, just doing my own thing on my own time. And there's certain things I just, I didn't have to be mindful of. I didn't have to tell a wife where I was going or what time I was going to get off or anything like that. It was just me. But I have found that some of these things that I now need to be more mindful of is worth it. Because the relationship that's gained has added to my life and made it better. Sin's nature is to tempt us, separate us from God, and destroy us. Instead of focusing on some list, because I think sometimes we lose sight of having a relationship with God, whether we're just now getting into this or we've been in it for years, we think of things we need to be doing or not be doing and stagnate or just stop there. Relationships aren't about that. Instead of focusing on checking off some list, let us instead focus on growing in Christ every single day. It's amazing the patience God will have with us. I saw a thing on Facebook and I absolutely loved it. It's that when God made the plan for your life, he already took your stupidity into account. So he already knows the mistakes we're going to make. He already knows what our weaknesses is. And that's why he gave us grace. And the fact that we are alive is proof that he wants us. He didn't make a mistake or sneeze and suddenly here we are like, oops, I guess I'll keep that around. No, <laughs> he, he fashioned you in the womb and he desires you. Let me just find my place here. Just lost it. <laughs> I still lost it. <laughs> like, I had it, and then it was gone again. Oh, Lord, help me. Whew. But if you happen to be allowing something in your life that you know is a sin, or even if it's not directly a sin, if it's pulling your attention from God, and I know sometimes it can feel like having a family pulls your attention from God. That's, that's not a sin. You know, I know some people out there are just looking for ways to twist things, and I just want to clarify there but if you're finding these things that are pulling you from God for some people it may be that they're just focusing too much on video games it's not a sin to play video games but if it's pulling you from God for you it is it is a separation it is a wall cut it out cut out the sin push it aside you can't help the temptation of anything what tempts you is what tempts you. But how you respond is what you can control. 
If you find yourself already bound and captive, drowning in your sin, cry out to God. He gave us his name for a reason, the name of Jesus. That is to save us from our sins. We are able to boldly, confidently come before the throne of grace and find help in time of need. And if you're lost in sin, you are in a time of need. Come as you are, not as you think you need to be. God didn't make a list of meet these standards then come to me. He said, come to me, and I will cleanse you, and I will give you strength, and I will make you whole. If you're finding yourself lost, overwhelmed, drowning, cry out that name, Jesus. Even if you don't specify any need for help, he knows, and he moves because he wants to move. He wants to be in your life. He gave us his name. And we can repent, turning away from our sins, dying to our sins. We are baptized in Jesus' name, being buried with him in baptism. And that dead man of sin we died to is buried, covered in the name of Jesus. And as we're buried in the name of Jesus Christ, we take on his name. We take on the family name. And we receive the precious gift of the Holy Ghost. And we are raised into new life. Just as Jesus was raised from the grave on the third day. Raised, we are raised into new life. Given new purpose, new strength. We are a whole new being in Christ Jesus. We may have the same body. But in our spirit, we are brand new. We are a new creature, no longer lost and bound to the sin that was once pulling us down to hell. Because the blood of Jesus Christ took that, washed that away. So now we're able to leap up. Now we're able to walk in faith. Now we're able to reach up towards heaven. And little thought I had, Jesus was not resurrected the exact moment he died. And we're not always going to find ourselves standing completely victorious over a sin that trips us up, the moment we repent or get baptized or filled with the Holy Ghost. The temptations will probably still be there. But now so will God. And the more we lean on him, the more we find ourselves to be overcomers instead of lost causes. As our musicians come and play and sing a song, I'm going to go ahead and open this altar. If you want to pray at the altar, that's fine. I'm going to pray at your seat, that's fine. Just, I just want us to take a moment and pray and once more just repent. Sometimes we find ourselves entertaining a sin and we got used to it and we don't realize it. Sometimes we just need to get our minds back on God because we're good in church, but then when we leave, we go back in the same old things. I don't want to just live for God while I'm in church. I don't want to just do good when I've got to come up here and preach. I want to do good every moment of every day. We need to repent once more because even the Apostle Paul stated how he had to die daily to his sins. Life is full of distractions and temptations are lurking around every corner. But it's just for a moment we can pause tonight. 
just one moment and give our hearts back to Christ. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.